Chapter 12 of Conciliatory or Irenical Animadversions on the Controversies Agitated in Britain under the Unhappy Names of Antinomians and Neonomians by Herman Witsius. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Explication of Certain Paradoxes The last question now remains, wherein many things concur which are not wont to be heard, and which need the clearest explication, lest they be understood amiss, and the first indeed, that concerning the remission of all sins at once, not only of the past and present, but also of the future, is abundantly clear of itself. For since all the sins of believers were wholly translated to Christ, and he made satisfaction for them, hence learned men in their discourses conclude with propriety that in justification which is the application of christ's satisfaction it is declared to believer that satisfaction has been made for all their sins and consequently that there are none at all whether past or to come which can be imputed to them for their condemnation balaam said in so many words that god does not behold iniquity in jacob nor see perverseness in israel numbers thirty three twenty one in this sense according to their judgment god surely sees by his omniscience whatever is done amiss by any he sees also the sins of believers as the sins of believers inasmuch as they are committed by them for whatever is true god sees that it is true but at the same time he does not see the sins of believers as the sins of believers inasmuch as they are no more theirs but christ's to whom they were imputed and who hath now satisfied for them they suggest that the spot and deformity of sin may be considered as twofold either in relation to sanctification or to justification they teach that believers are so defiled with it under the first consideration that even their best duties if compared with the perfection of the divine law are nothing but dung but in the last respect since christ took all sin from the elect upon himself and rendered them pleasing and acceptable unto god they deny that believers by any pollution of their sins become abominable to him or fall from his justifying favour in one respect they affirm and in another deny that a justified man brings new guilt upon himself if he fall into any enormous crime they affirm it as to fact so that he is convinced in his conscience and bound to confess before god that he has committed such a crime to the denial or in excuse of which he can adduce nothing and that according to the threatening of the law he deserves eternal destruction they deny it as to the sentence of a justifying god whereby the man being absolved from all his sins it is impossible that a condemnatory sentence should be pronounced for this new sin therefore to use the scholastic gloss they affirm it concerning potential guilt and deny it as to actual and their opinion they illustrate by the example of a man who being guilty of sedition or of treason confesses before the tribunal his fault and that he is worthy of punishment but in the meantime has in his possession a writ of pardon granted him by the clemency of the prince that seems a strange assertion which they have expressed in these words that it is the voice of a lying spirit who tells believers that they have sins which waste the conscience and which lie upon them as a burden heavier than to be borne and that david while he complained of that did not speak truly they explain their meaning however in the following manner that christ took the burden of our sins upon himself bore them and in bearing carried them away so that no believer can be burdened with it to destruction or to despair and his conscience so wasted that it should truly testify god is not pacified towards him that in david asaph heman job and other saints 
those things which in the height of temptation and from a failure of faith they speak incautiously concerning the goodness of god must be distinguished from those which they declare from a principle of lively faith after they have recovered examples of which are so obvious to such as are skilful in the scriptures that they need no further enlargement concerning the injury and the hurt done by sin they speak in the following manner sin if considered in its own nature is the root from whence the most destructive fruits arise and its wages is death and none should be reckoned so small that it does not deserve the eternal torments of the spirits in prison and it is proper that these things be under the view of believers as often as with its feigned and deceitful fawning it allures them to commit it for then it is the most dreadful of all things inasmuch as it crucified our dearest lord jesus but the sins of believers who have god for their merciful father do them no real injury neither is there any reason why they should be afraid of it for real injury is punishment properly so called and some part of condemnation which christ has entirely taken away from his people by bearing all that is terrible in sin he hath destroyed sin and made it that believers have no more to fear from it than from a dead lion which they protest they by no means affirm concerning sin when it fawns and allures but concerning sin committed which lies on the conscience of believers and tempts them to deny both the free grace and love of god and the all-sufficiency of christ's merits when they deny that god is offended by any sin of a justified person however great they again desire that to be understood in respect of the most plenary reconciliation which christ has obtained and which in justification is adjudged to believers for thus they teach god is not offended without cause there is no cause of offence except sin christ bore and carried away all the sins of believers and the most just offence given to god on their account and not some part of the offence only but the whole of the offences altogether therefore no part remains which can lie upon believers unto them god says fury is not in me isaiah twenty seven four with respect to the confession of sins their opinion is this that it is just comely and necessary to the end that god may be glorified joshua seven nineteen as the only saviour of miserable men and that the necessity dignity and efficacy of christ's merits may be acknowledged yet they deny that confession of sins is the cause whereby remission is procured or even the assurance of it he who is truly a believer has as much foundation for quietness of mind concerning the remission of his sin before confession as after it the only ground of assurance is the word of grace i even i am he who blotteth out thy transgression for mine own sake the verity and the value of that word once pronounced in justification abideth for ever it belongs to faith to apprehend that word and to apply it to itself for assurance not to expect it by solemn confession as a certain prerequisite for confession itself unless it proceed from the faith of this word cannot be acceptable to god they acknowledge a sense of sin in order to holy humiliation of mind and sincere penitence to be a duty of very imperfect piety but they contend that it arises much more easily and to better purpose from the faith of pardon already obtained than from any other source from when christ shows himself in all the benignity of his most precious grace to the sinful soul and of his own accord pardons so many and so grievous sins it melts much more easily and more purely into the most copious tears of sincere penitence than when it has to struggle with unbelief and despondency with respect to daily prayers for the remission of sins they have taught as follows 
and universal remission of sins is given in justification for which as already given thanks should be returned to god but remission of sins sometimes signifies its manifestation to the conscience in the continual communication of new favours in the pleasures of god's love in beholding the light of his countenance and in the shining of the soul which arises from the rays of the sun of righteousness beaming forth and bringing healing these are things which deserve all the ardour of daily prayers yet so that we believe we have them in christ together with all spiritual benefits and that out of his fulness and not for the sake of our prayers we shall receive them from god thus far i have given an account of the brethren's judgment with as much fidelity accuracy and perspicuity as i could End of chapter twelve